0: Tell me if you remember. Tell remember. No telling if you remember. Yeah. I'll never forget. I'll never forget. Yeah. Welcome to the hashtag Haldasin Podcast. The show focused on the strategic disruption of the status quo in technical organizations, communities, and events.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode of Hashtag Clause of Scene. And my guest today is Leonardo Grattaro. Leonardo, introduce yourself to everyone.
2: Okay. Well, I'm a, I'm a Venezuelan software engineer. I was born in Venezuela uh, 30 years ago already. Uh, I moved to Chile uh, In 2014 so I've been living here in Chile for four years already if I work all kinds of development works mostly in web development uh, for companies of all sizes startups Uh, right now I'm working for a rather large uh, corporation uh, I've worked in e-commerce. I've worked with geographical systems. I've worked in a lot of industries, which has been a very enriching experience because I've had contact with many many areas of the, of the industry. So I've learned a lot. I have the opportunity to learn a lot of things. And that's it uh, from my part. When you said that, when you asked me to, to do this podcast, uh, you you asked me to talk about my experience as someone like underprivileged. And at first it was hard for me because I'm, I live in Latin America. So I'm most of the times I'm more on the privileged side of, of things like I'm male. I've, I've, come to notice that i make more money than most of my female colleagues so i have to pick my brain really hard to to come with experiences but but i found some experiences where even though we sometimes can be in certain positions of privilege we sometimes are on the other side of privilege too so it's sometimes we we can play the two roles like sometimes we can take advantage of our position or sometimes our position is a position of advantage. And sometimes we're on the downside. For example, me being an immigrant here in Chile has had its own challenges. So yeah, I have quite a few things to talk about today.
1: Well, that's good. I'm glad because, um, and I like that you also have that that perspective of privilege because people often think, and I keep telling, want to be clear privilege is not just about white males a exactly. lot of you, it depends on where you are in the world privilege because i'm looking at you and um you guys won't see this because or the audience won't see this because it's not video but you're also of light um complexion so that's a privilege in latin latin america um, yeah
2: I'm not, I'm not i'm not completely white exactly but I pass like I'm like more Hispanic. There are people who is whiter than me, but certainly I I'm on the privileged side here in Latin Latin America. Totally.
1: Yeah, because I've heard. Um, I mean, just from what I've heard, I mean, it could be of African descent in um, Latin America. Is is? I mean, I'm looking at you. You are not getting. You're not having that issue with privilege. So it's yeah. the fact. So I'm I'm happy that you're you're able to speak from both sides and also a different kind of privilege that's not about white males.
0: So exactly I, totally.
1: Uh, so tell me why you're cause, why it's important to cause the scene hashtag cause the scene and how you're specifically doing that.
2: Well, for me, it is important to bring light to to these issues because. Uh, many people are like so blinded to this thing actually existing that they even get offended by, by the existence of these kinds of mo- movements. I've had problems with friends in private conversations like, why are you supporting this kind of thing? Or why are you retweeting this or this or that? Uh, I don't understand why we have to have like, uh, be inclusive or anything. If this is like a meritocracy, it's like it's not a meritocracy. Let's be honest. Uh, we have a lot of issues that come from bias, that from unconscious bias that people don't realize that they have them, and they they feel very offended. So I think the only way to to fight these things is uh, to be very vocal about them to be very open and to like yes yeah, spread the word that there is a problem like the first uh, step to solve a problem is acknowledging that there is a problem so that for me is like the most important part of everything to make people at first realize that they issue exist that I, like I said, I I make more money than most, or I think all of my female colleagues. Like I had a lot of friends in development. There are people who make like three times less money than me, women, with wow, basically definitely. the same <laughs> level of, of experience. It's it's crazy. It's I. I I worked at a company where I worked with a friend of mine who even had more experience than me. She, she was an uh, instructor in a development course that I assisted to. So imagine she taught me and she made less money than what I made. And yeah. It's, yeah. it's crazy. And this is all because of inc- unconscious bias. So it's crazy.
1: And I'm like, I mean, again, um, I'm loving your perspective on this because again, it demonstrates that it's not just in the U.S. It's not just this thing that these issues are universal and they're universally impacting the technology community. It's not just one um, thing; it's all these things compounded together. I mean, to totally. say that you're ma- to say that you're making three times what someone else is making—that's huge.
2: Yes. It's, uh, it's weird. It's like, what? How, how come does this happen in?
1: So tell me, since you talked about why it's important, tell me, how are you um, causing a scene in in where you are and online? Because um, I know several people who are from other marginalized groups that um, get the same kind of text messages or messages from people like, why are you doing this? Why Why are you not talking about us? Why are you talking about these things? Why are you bringing these things up? Um, So it's interesting to try to want to advocate for even the very people that are saying, stop talking about this.
2: Yeah, the first thing is like uh, using my Twitter, which is my main form of public communication. It's like practically, practically the only public platform I have that has like a lot of reach. I've been cultivating a follower base in Twitter lately. And I try to be as vocal as I can with the issue and the kind of direct messages that I get are crazy. It's like even people that I consider friends have gotten mad at me like and they start on private, like replying to me like and I've become like the go-to person for many people to criticize uh, all these movement, movements. It's crazy, it's like uh, it's, it touches a raw nerve in people. And whoever is vocal about these issues gets, well, well, you must know it more than me probably, gets like a lot of fire from people for being vocal about this. Other than that, I got to acknowledge that I'm not doing as much as I maybe would like to. Sometimes one is busy with life and whatnot. So, well, uh, what else have I done? Well, last uh, last February, I remember uh, I I participated in this Global CFP Day. You were there too. That that was like my beginning like the first thing I did like to actively participate in these kinds of of movements to bring diversity up like actively organizing an event it was very enriching and I'm planning a couple of things for the future uh, more in the in the sense of mentoring developers. I think in Latin America, we have uh, one big issue with uh, with developers who don't have a formal education in college. The, that's like there's a lot of bias against those developers. Uh, companies I've worked for who them less even though they are very capable developers the companies won't even look at them so the next thing I want to do is start a, like a mentoring group for, for these uh, folks to uh, level up their skills so they can start applying and they can start competing with uh, guys and, and with folks with regular formal college education because that's another diversity issue we have here, which is more related to, I don't know how to say it, to income, to, yeah, to, to social status, socioeconomic status, because um, many developers learn on their own because they cannot pay for college. And that's one big issue here in Latin America that they're not getting the jobs they should be getting because I, I strongly believe that developers who attend boot camps, who are self-taught, or they or who drop it out of college, which is actually my case, are completely capable of working at big companies and delivering value for for software companies. So. That's where I want to focus my effort for the second half of the of this year.
1: That's really interesting because um it's that is a big place where you need to call the scene because it's a, the majority of developers today aren't coming through cs programs, and so the companies are using that old outdated formula for identifying people when the, the 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 job pool is not is shrinking of people who are coming out of cs programs so they're not even seeing that they're doing themselves a disservice long term um because they will not have the development so they need to be de- uh, developing the talent that's coming out of alternative or non-traditional methods of learning and as adults That's how we learn. We learn. um, We have choices in how we learn. And if we are able to level up on our own using the resources that are out there that are at a free or nominal cost, then how? And it's so funny because once you get on the job, it does not matter. It's can you solve my problem?
2: Exactly. And I think that people overvalue the, I'm not saying that formal college education is not valuable because it is. Uh, I had uh, both experiences. I, I studied uh, two, two degrees, both of which I dropped it out. And it is valuable what you learn in college. But uh, I think that what I've learned on my own, what I learned in my jobs has been the same has hem- had the same value or even more, maybe from what I learned in college. So I think that there's like some bias that only through college you can learn certain things and which is not true. There are many things that you learn in college that maybe it will be harder to learn, learn on your own. But people can and people does it all the time. So it's like a bias that we have to get rid of. I used to have it myself, so it's hard. So how, to, do,
1: how do you? How do you? Do you have any actually strategic plans for addressing this?
2: My plan is to gather a group of people and, based on their skills and their interests, uh, to try and build something like uh, like an end-to-end uh, digital product. It could be. Uh, mobile app, it could be a web app, depending, or if I have enough people, uh, a web app, a mobile app, a desktop app, app, and and try to uh, bring people through all the process of building a product so they gain the first-hand experience that maybe they're not getting sometimes what I see is people who graduate from boot camps have like a hard time transitioning to a job because they lack certain skills, certain experience. And it's like creating a place where they can gain this this experience guided by people who has worked in the industry in order to to make them feel comfortable working with technology and creating things with their own hands. It's like, uh, depending on the skills, even get more skilled uh, developers to mentor less skilled developers, so it's the idea is that this scale on its own. And the idea is to bring at least two or three more experienced developers, ideally, who has experience teaching too. So, and aim it at that group of people who has been getting problems finding a job. Uh, Two weeks ago, I was at a meetup, and there was this guy who came up to me after my talk, and he said, like, hey, I've been following you for a while. And I was like, and he was uh, he's a Venezuelan like me. He's he he he's been in Chile for less than a year and has, hasn't has been able to find a development job. And I told him, but why aren't you, like, developing on your own? He was like, um, it's like I don't know what to develop or I don't know what skills should I be learning and the idea is to guide uh, these, these folks who are like, they know the basics, but they need to go a little beyond in order to be able to, to find a job. Because sometimes the job demands things that they don't know, but that they are perfectly capable of learning.
1: Um, you speak to a point that started all of my speaking um, almost two years ago, and that one is actually two years ago now. Is um the need for mentors? Um, I don't care if you come out of and I and this is what's interesting to me is when people say they need people with CS degrees. I've seen people with CS degrees struggle with the same issues that self-talk and boot camp graduates is because once school is an artificial environment, L- learning on your own is an artificial environment. It's only when you're able to be to solve re- put in realistic situations and solve realistic problems, that you start exercising that muscle. And so, um, and that that really happens through mentorship and apprenticeship programs, so I commend you for doing that. And that's why I just don't understand everybody's just so stuck on formal education, because those CS students still come to their jobs first day and still know no more than than the average person, because most CS programs are teaching you to code. Um, they're teaching about computer science and algorithms and those kind of things. So to learning, to, to be a developer is a whole different skill. Correctly. Uh, yeah. So it's, I'll be interested. So please keep me updated on how that's going. But one of the things that I want to talk about is that how, what challenges are you seeing and how can you cause a scene or have you seen someone causing a scene related to English being the dominant language of technology?
2: English language. being the dominant language actually no it's like something that you assume that you have to, to learn it it's like uh, you by default you assume that you need to learn English because most materials are in English uh, because uh, for getting access to good jobs English is actually a requirement for, for example, in my, the current company I work for, uh, after a certain level of seniority, you need to have certain level of English knowledge to, to reach that, that level of, of seniority. And yes, it can be for me, I've always uh, like, Ever since I was like in high school, I started learning English. But it indeed it is uh, not not everyone has like the same. I don't know how to say. It. Not everyone is as, as comfortable at uh, learning English or another language as other people. So yeah, it's it's definitely taxing for some people to have to learn English to to be a developer practically, it Um, it can be
1: hard. It's so interesting that you say it because this is the issue that many marginalized groups have, particularly in their countries. You just have to make, just like you said, it's just assumed that you have to learn English, which is a barrier, which is a barrier to entry. Um, You could get so much done within your company, I'm sure, if everybody were allowed to speak Spanish, <laughs> if everything,
2: no, in my company, we speak Spanish, but the thing is that we're a global consulting, consulting company. And some of the clients are international and you have to know English because yeah, you're.
0: I,
1: I, I, I get that, but okay, this is not, but and put a period on this. Cause I'm going to challenge, not you, but this thought, and this is why, um, it's, it's it, it's such a barrier, and it's so when you say you don't even recognize the unconscious bias. Um, the thought that to yes, it's easier to go after or to to ensure that people are speaking the language of their clients. Um, that that makes sense, and I'm trying. To, I'm trying to figure out how I'm trying. To, well, how I'm going to put this. But the fact that that's the expectation is the problem that I have. Yeah, indeed, it uh, is. Yeah, that's, that's the problem that I have. The expectation that I'm an international company, and so thus, because I'm an international company, I can't default to my own language. I have to default to another language because I'm an international company. Yes, it works. Uh, it's easier, but it's easier for people who speak English. It's not English. It's easier for people who don't speak English. And because English-speaking countries have been the dominant player here, they've been able to um, to stamp this assumption or this 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 um, this. I mean, you just said it as a matter of fact, you know, like bah But it, it's it, it, the fact that it it was so easy for you to say it was just shocking to me. Um, and you not see that as a pro, as a concern is a shock to me.
2: Because yeah, no, it, it is indeed a concern, I, I, for not for me, because I've had, like, always been, for me has always been easy to learn languages, but I found in my life people who doesn't have, like, this skill to, on, or this interest, I don't know whether, how, because I believe that we all can learn languages, but maybe some people don't care about it and they have a harder time learning but it is indeed a concern for many people here in Latin America that they they struggle with learning not only English but whatever other language. So
0: everyone in the hashtag Call the Scene community shares the same common beliefs based on a set of four specific guiding principles. One, tech is not neutral nor is it apolitical. Two intention without strategy is chaos three lack of inclusion is a risk and increasingly a crisis management issue and lastly but most importantly four we must prioritize the most vulnerable to Find out more about the guiding principles and adding them to your Twitter profile banner. Please visit hashtag yeah, basically,
1: cause basically, they have to learn English and then learn a programming language or something like that. They're learning several languages at the same time, exactly. It's definitely, it's definitely a barrier to entry because it says that you can't even consider a job in technology. Period.
2: And let yeah, it's a barrier for getting better jobs. Actually, you can. Got around in Spanish, but the the better paying jobs yeah, exactly. Exactly definitely require that, English.
1: Yeah, the jobs that will help you really transform your family and your community require English. Exactly. Yeah. And which is it does which is interesting. You know, they'll the English isn't required for those lower paying skilled jobs where we where a lot of people aren't getting paid I mean getting paid well below um you know, how, uh, uh, cost of living and, uh, and that's okay to speak your native language, but for those things that can really change your life, you have to speak English. And, um, there's some, to me, there's just so much depth to that. There's so much about privilege in that. There's so much about just being exclusionary. It's like a secret code. And if you don't speak it, um, you, you know, we're in a secret, a secret club, um, Because I find, and I guess I'm just really sensitive to it for the simple fact that I know I only speak English. And when I go to these other countries, I have to rely on other people to help me communicate or technology. And it's a challenge. And and to have the assumption that there's going to be someone there who speaks English to help me is a fault on my part. You know, right. it's,
2: it's, it's, yeah. know If I go to the U.S., I don't abs- assume that I'm going to find someone speaking Spanish that would help me. Maybe in New York or maybe in Miami, but if I go to, I don't know, Kentucky, I won't find anyone speaking Spanish, so I have to learn English because
1: yeah, I'm yeah. going to an
2: English-speaking country, exactly.
1: It's, it's interesting to me, and I, I get so enlightened. That's one reason I love doing this, because I learn my, my level of depth. About what's exclusionary and, and again, those things that we aren't even aware of and how we're, how we're perpetuating it. Um, and they're so subtle. Many of them are so subtle. Um, it's just really interesting. I wanted you to talk more about your, your experience being a person who has privilege and also equally not having privilege.
2: Yeah, well, uh, now that we're talking about languages, uh, the the first topic that came to mind when you contacted me was kind of related to language, but it was in like a separate thing. It's about uh, not only language, but cultural differences. Uh, I've had a couple of very specific issues regarding cultural differences that that it's also very taxing for, for newcomers to a culture, be it an immigrant or be it someone moving cities. Yeah. Uh, the language that we use, uh, like not not only what we speak, but even in Latin America, it happens a lot. We share the same language, but uh, there are cultural differences, there are different expressions. So for a newcomer to, to a new culture, especially in the U.S. now that people are getting very sensitive about a lot of issues, which kind of makes sense. But I've had very hard discussions with people because I'm not a native English speaker. So sometimes I don't know that maybe a word is a slur, you know. You learn it, you don't know the complete meaning and you use it, and you get burned because of that. Word, and it's like, wait, dude, I'm not a native English speaker. Uh, like, okay, it's good if you correct me, but don't burn me, don't shame me, because you know yeah. it's not my language. If you went to to, if you came here to South America, I'm sure you're you've had a harder time than me. Uh, communicating and you made a lot more of mistakes so uh, it happened to me uh, a little while ago in twitter with i'm not going to get into the specific but it does happens a lot and that's one big step towards uh, inclusion with people from other cultures you know Uh, understand that sometimes if we Transgress on social code is not out of uh, being. It's not made in a mean spirit. It's just that we have difference in cultural codes, and sometimes we don't know that certain things or actions or words are actually seen badly in other places.
1: One of the things that I, it's so funny that you bring that up because I've had several conversations of people from other countries whose only experience before they got here was American or U.S. television, and so they think that those those scripted experiences are what they are here, and so um, it's a shock to them when they recognize that's not the case and then how do you because that's how you've learned english that's how you come to quote unquote try to assimilate in a culture that is not that thing because someone exactly. in hollywood someone in hollywood made that up you know yeah like, or for
2: hollywood. example you learn by i don't know listening to rock music and hip hop music yeah, which sometimes yeah. you know the words they use yeah should not be used in public conversation or it happened to me, I am remembering like nine or 12 months ago, I don't know, like last year, there was this discussion about the testing in the US where women are tired that people call them girls. Like I'm not a girl, I'm a yeah. woman. Yeah. When I tweet in English or when I speak in English, I have to make a conscious effort to not do that. Because first, like you say, we learn by watching TV, by reading, and it's like the common way that women get addressed, whether it is good or no, is they call them girls. Yes, that's that's what you're learning. And the other thing is here in Latin America, both for women and men, we call people girls and boys. Like uh, when when you have like a rapport with someone, Mm-hmm. We mm-hmm. we go I I get to the office and I say hola muchachos hi, boys or hi, girls so mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's like uh, it, if it's someone you have trust with someone you know it even becomes a sign of affection so
1: mm-hmm.
2: it's not like patronizing or condescending which is the the complaint that many people have when people in the US call them girls it's more like a sign of affection for us to call ourselves mm-hmm. that. So that's for, that's my example of a big, big, big cultural difference. And I remember when I explained this to, I don't remember who it was on Twitter, and she said, like, but don't they teach you that girl is a girl? When, when you go to English classes, don't they teach you the difference between girl and women? And I was like, I've learned more English outside the formal classes than what exactly. I learned in, in exactly. high school. I think. Exactly, and, exactly. and that's they, maybe they taught me the difference, but you know, I learned more by watching TV, by watching movies, by reading than what I learned in class. So,
1: and what's interesting though is, um, and and we talk about like the pop culture. You learn from what you know, the pop culture and what gets what gets, um. Uh, imported to your countries, and a lot of it is derogatory already in nature to minorities, and and exactly, and, and so, but you would know that um, those are co- and, and it's so funny. I, I, there are times, and and it's usually, I'm gonna err on this. It's usually a, a privileged person that I am calling out. It's very rarely a marginalized individual because. I recognize that there's so many oppressions upon us that unless it's something that's just outright, I, it has to, it's in their best interest kind of thing. And that's a, that's a fine line for me because I try not to determine what's in somebody else's best interest. But if I see something that is like, okay. Um, Cause I did it a lot when I was a teacher
0: uh,
1: and, and because that was my job, but as my students, as I left education and I, and like before, um, let, let's give you an example. When, um, you had to be 18 and out of school to be, in, to be on my Facebook page. I, I would not accept in, in, in invitations unless you were out of school. Okay. And then I would see, because 18, 19, you're still young. You're still making stupid mistakes. And I see them put things on, you know, on Facebook. And at first I would say, Hey, you might not, you know, you might think better not doing that. And I just decided, you know what? Well, these are adults. They got to figure out this stuff for themselves. And so I would not reach out to them until I saw maybe they were putting something that would in the long term affect them either legally, you know, or something like that. Um, So, and so it's that thing for me is if you said girls or boys, I may say, bring it to your attention that, you know, hey, um, Leonardo, that term Although it doesn't offend me, um, you may have some pushback on that because I know that you, you know, English is your second language. But to shame you and to go into, didn't you learn that in school? No, I wouldn't do that. But what I do do, yeah, exactly.
2: I'm, I think I think I agree with you. We have to find like a middle ground because, yeah, I, you need to make me aware of the social codes, but there are ways of letting people
1: and that, know. and I do that even with privilege when I. And so these are the people I actually correct because they're their, by nature of privilege, they've never had to consider or seldom had to consider other people. So when they make a misstep, yes, I call it out because, and, and I unless it's so overt and then they respond to me as being an asshole, I usually just say, hey, why don't you think about it in this way? Or this is what this term means and this is why it's offensive or da, 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 da. I do it that way because, again, that's my education background. Um, that's usually the, the first step for me is to say, Hey, is this, does this person seem like somebody who's open to receiving this? And then I, you know, I'll come in and say, hey, I get what you're saying. This is a different perspective. I had this issue on Saturday this past week where someone, their whole thread was about one thing, but there's this one part of this thread, which was uh, pretty, could have been potentially harmful for other people not like you. And they kept pushing back and saying, but did you read the whole, th-? yeah, the fact that you made an assumption that I didn't read the whole thread is a problem because I wouldn't have, you know, um, t- um, tweeted this, but just because I agree with your whole overall concept does not agree. That means that I have to totally agree with your approach. I don't, It seems like it's, for people, it seems they're all or nothing and very few things are so binary and we just take, and we're never going to get past these things. If we, this, there is, there is so much that is not black and white about these issues. Um, and that's why I don't like people who want to do um, these blanket reactionary one, one size fits all kind of solutions, because that's not the issue. The issues are these things that you're talking about, these little bitty things that come up that people have not addressed that We don't know how to handle. Those are the things that stop us, not unconscious bias training. It's when someone says something in a meeting, and everybody looks around, but no one says, hey, dude, you can't say that. Or that's not appropriate, and this is why it's not appropriate. That's the stuff that gets us in trouble.
2: Yeah, exactly. And yeah, like, like you say, it's a very complex issue with many variables, and it certainly doesn't have a one size fits all solution. And I think that we have to find middle grounds for understanding each other, mainly to understand that we all come from different backgrounds. Even if we live in the same country, we have different socioeconomic backgrounds, different educational backgrounds. So what might be appropriate in one context is not appropriate Mm -hmm. in another. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, I think it goes uh, through a lot of diplomacy and everybody needs to have the, the goodwill to, to change their mindset, like, okay, I understood that there are certain things that I do here in Latin America to communicate that might not be appropriate in another context. But Mm -hmm. some people need to learn that if I do something, it's not because I mean it in a bad way, and we have to find middle grounds for all of this. Yeah yeah and the, the thing with cultural differences is for me the the main starting point to understand that not everyone who does something exclusionary is doing it out of uh, mean spirit yeah, sometimes exactly. it's like you say there There are people who are willing to listen and people who are not uh, with the people who are willing to listen you know exercise a little patience uh, mm-hmm show them another point of view because, well, as I said, I get a lot of uh, heat on my direct messages for talking. And even I don't consider myself that I talk so much about the issue, but I don't know. It's like (laughs) sometimes it's so invisible, this issue, that whatever little thing I do to talk about it, it causes outrage.
1: Well, one of the things, and, um, and you and I'm glad you're speaking about this, is the fact, though, that once you start turning a light on certain things, people start seeing, um, becoming afraid. Because yeah, even totally. though you say it's a small thing, it's really a, a not. Because once you start putting, turning the lights on, it does not stop. And that's the thing. Because you keep fighting a light on that thing may not affect me today, but it may affect me tomorrow or next week. And then there may be other exposed things come to light. It's it's that whole, uh, a lot of people are, and, and also a lot of people, I mean, just by the very name of your privilege, you're benefiting from that. So you're going to fight to hold on to any of that at all. I mean, you're going to hold, whether it was you being intentionally discriminatory or not, if it's benefited you historically, you're going to fight to keep that. And um and that's just you can you can try to be the good guy all you want to. That's just nature. That's just, you know, hey, I'm gonna preserve what I have. I'm not gonna and so that's why it's interesting when they get to these conversations like, Oh, I worked for this. No, you didn't work for that. If you really think about the system that allows you to have that, had you had had I had the same opportunities, you wouldn't even have that because your level of skill is not even at my level of skill. Just like you said about the, the person you worked with that you actually taught as an assistant to was making less than you and has more experience. And so that's exactly. what people, people keep, are holding on to this system that has allowed them to progress in a world if things were really equal, they would not be in the situation that they're in.
2: <laughs> yeah, totally. I, I see it here all the time. Uh, if there are a lot of bias that we don't see even i probably don't see it and there are many things that yes you you work together then but uh, that work that was facilitated by other things like you could go to a good college because someone paid for that yeah exactly. you, you could you could reject low-paying offers because you didn't have to work right yes. out of college yeah. I didn't have that, that chance for example mm-hmm. i I had to start working before finishing college i I dropped it out because I moved it here, but I didn't have like the chance to reject low paying jobs because I needed to work, so not everyone has that opportunity, and like you say it's not 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 an equal playground for anyone,
1: yeah. So um this has been a very interesting conversation. I just knew just based on the stuff that you were retweeting. And again, I've only been introduced to you at, at as you said through the um, Global Diversity CFP when you were um you showed up in the Slack channel. So that's very interesting. I was like and that was in March, right?
2: February or March—I don't remember now. So, that that day, that day I did the CFP, we were in the middle of a big migration of data at work, so I was like, <laughs> the floor. I was on duty before I did the CFP day, and yeah. then I went on to work. It was a crazy day for me. I don't even remember. <laughs> don't even recall it. But
1: I want to thank you for coming here and sharing your story. Um, Because it's through sharing your story that Hashtag Causes Seeing gets to expose people to different perspectives. And it's when we have these different perspectives that we can broaden our perspectives and start looking in the corners where it's dark, where we are being discriminatory and exclusionary to other people um, that we didn't even recognize. So uh, you have any last words?
2: No, what you were saying, yeah, the, the, the diverse view. For me, that's the biggest part. I, I have many, many issues like that for not being diverse. I, I, I remember now there was this uh, uh, this talking about the diversity. Uh, I remember a mistake that I made some time ago. There was like a conference that rejected uh, that the email sent for the people who didn't get chosen to talk at the conference. They forgot to include everyone in the background copy. So they did the CC and we all saw the email of everyone. Oh my god! And we all started speaking like well now that this funny incident happened, let's get to know each other. It yeah, was a exactly. really beautiful experience. And cultural differences here. Uh, we all started talking about our experiences with with conference and this and that. And I said, like, uh, well, for me, uh, getting rejected out of a conference is like, uh, it's like you know, asking girls or women out on, on a date. Sometimes they reject you. Sometimes you get the to go out with the girl you want to go out with. And there was this guy like from an Asian country, I think it was India, and he was was like, I've never dated women and whatnot. And I was like, whoa, I should have made that comment because yeah, in, in Latin America or in the US, we have a different dating culture. Yeah, exactly. What? people in other countries have like with more conservative approaches and whatnot and it hit me in the face like wow dude (laughs) remember that in these cases when dealing with conferences or dealing with twitter dude remember that you are speaking to a global audience you don't know who might be on the other side like if I make this comment to people in the U.S., they might joke about it. If I make that comment to people in Latin America, they might joke. But for people in other cultures, it can be uh, quite a shock to yeah, yeah. ever see that. it's. It's We have to understand that we are thank you thanks to uh, to uh, to the internet we we now have a global audience and that is usually a very amazing thing that we can be talking miles away from distance and we can, can be talking to each other it's amazing but we also have to be very aware that we are dealing with people and there are 7000 million people in the world so you know there are mm-hmm. all kinds of backgrounds and experiences that we have to try to take into account.
1: Yeah. Well, that was a great place to stop because I actually just uh, wrote that tweet that down. That's about to be a tweet. Remember that we're communicating with a global audience. So exactly. Thank you. That's a great way to end. So, thank you so much, Leonardo, for coming on the show. And thank you, you for inviting me. You can continue to call the scene
2: yeah yeah and probably we'll see each other in atlanta i think in a few months in a few weeks actually okay okay see you again bye-bye
0: thank you for listening to this week's episode of the hashtag Call the scene podcast and i'd like to thank all our current sponsors of the podcast and the hashtag Call the scene movement of course, we strongly encourage everyone to become an individual sponsor of the Hashtag Call the Scene community. Just visit the website at com to sign up today. On behalf of everyone here at Hashtag Call the Scene, we'd like to thank you again for listening to today's show and have a wonderful day.